Hello and welcome to the Boag World Show, the podcast about all aspects of digital design development and strategy. My name is Paul Boag and this is another bonus show before we kick off season 24 in September. This time I have an audio recording of a webinar I ran on becoming a user experience developer. Now what's that? I imagine you're asking yourself, well, I explained that in the recording. So sit back and let's have a listen. Okay, so thank you very much for coming and joining me today for this developer's guide to UX design. This is a subject that I'm particularly passionate about um, and I've written about quite extensively. Um, If you don't know who I am and you want to know about who I am, because I know some of you have just um, signed up through various mechanisms, go to boagworld.com or follow me on Twitter at boagworld. But I won't bore you with any more information about me than that. Um, I'm quite interested in in you guys and who you are. Um, So how many of you are um, developers or uh, project managers? So if you can put your role in the chat then I can see who different people are. So that would be really useful for me to know. So first thing I want to say as we start off, because nobody, oh, we've got a designer in. Okay, that's that's a bit worrying because of what I'm about to say now. I'm about to say the user experience designers are all big fat liars um, uh, because they're, they're, the idea that one person can design a user experience um is is farcical right don't anybody who's in the room that is a designer user experience designer i call myself a user experience designer as well and you know that is a farcical it's a job title that shouldn't exist because no one person can design the user um user experience in fact it involves so many different people coming together and one of those people are developers and developers have an absolutely intrinsic key role in creating an outstanding user experience or inversely ruining the user experience i mean just take a moment to think about um your average website right and the things that annoy you when you go to your to the average website let's look at what those are right Poor performance, right? Websites that take forever to load, hugely frustrating. And we know that people regularly abandon websites because they're hard to use, right? So it's poor performance. Form validation, right? Whenever you fill in a form, okay, and it, you know, it comes back in red, you know, do you're expected to say at the bottom, you know, C minus, you know, please see me, you know, big red letters all over it, um, telling you off like a naughty schoolboy. Really annoying forms driving nuts. Websites that don't work on mobile devices, right? Another great example of a major annoyance. Passwords, right? Ridiculously complicated passwords that you need to enter on websites, right? And and these are these are the things that actually annoy annoy us on websites. And notice none of those are about the pretty design. In truth, we don't actually care that much about design, right? What we care about is uh, the experience and the experience to a big degree is dictated by developers. All of those examples, look at them, right? Poor performance, 
developer's responsibility, form validation, developer's responsibility, mobile accessibility, developer's responsibility, passwords, security, developer's responsibility. Now, I'm not having a go at developers, right? Because it's not always, in fact, it almost always isn't their fault, right? Part of the problem is that designers are not detailed people, right? So designers are as much a fault that, as as developers are in this, that they're not thinking about these kinds of things. They don't worry about the performance hit of having 28 different fonts on a website, right? Um, you know, they're not worrying about spending hours agonizing over the, how the form validation works. Obviously, I'm making generalizations, but often the case. So designers sometimes do things like only show a single state of a page, right? So they send developers, oh, yes, here's, here's that template. But it lacks any of the interactive elements or any of the multiple states that we can see. Um, and so, you know, the developers are left to sort it out. Sometimes designers provide use lorem ipsum instead of real content. So, again, when the real content gets put in, it creates problems on mobile devices, right? They're often most designers um, work with tools that the very first thing those tools ask you is to define a static canvas size, right? Even Sketch, which is a modern uh, design tool, supposedly designed for people designing for the web, the first thing it asks is what dimensions you want your artboard to be, right? And we forget to address different page variations and, and the different things that are going on. So designers actually are a big part of the problem in many ways. And what it's going to take is designers working side by side with developers and developers working side by side with copywriters and project managers to create an outstanding experience. We all need to pull together to do that. Right. So in other words, the developer needs to be a user experience champion, too. You need to be uh, um, as much I, I think we need to we need a new phrase, right? We've got user experience designers. We need user experience developers. And that's what this presentation I'm hoping will inspire you to be. Start calling yourself a user experience developer, a developer who cares about the user experience, who champions the needs of users. Right. So this is what we're going to look at over this presentation. Right. We're going to look at things like creating user centric forms, something that uh, developers have to do all the time. Handling errors, another a huge area for, for developers. We're going to look at copy. Now, you think developers aren't responsible for copy. Bullshit. You have to do loads of copy. Right. It's just you don't think of it as copy. It's micro copy, instructions, little things like that. We'll, we'll come on to those in a minute. We're going to look at dealing with edge cases. Right. You know, oh, what if someone does dot, 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 right? That kind of thing. And we're going to look at improving the perception of speed, right? I'm not going to teach you how to suck eggs in terms of making a website fast because you're developers. You know a lot more about that than I am. But there's things we can do to make it feel even faster. And we're going to look at animation, which is increasingly an important part of uh, the user experience. And that often it falls to the developer to make happen. Okay, right. Oh, sorry. And we're going to look at um, closing comments as well, um, uh, which obviously me, I'm going to summarize the whole thing at the end. So let's start with user centric forms, right? How do we create forms that provide a more, uh, better user experience overall? 
Well, first thing to say is don't split fields. Have you ever seen a form like this? Right? They're, they're quite common, actually. Uh, and um, the reason that we do it, or developers do it, is because they want um, the database to, to contain nice, clean data. So a telephone number, for example, you want the area code or the country code held separately um, to, to the rest of the information. But of course, this is creating a usability barrier because the user needs to click from one field to the next, right? Um, and enter each piece of data separately. So now you, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, you just tab between them. Yeah, we know that. You and I know that. But the majority of users do not. They don't realize they can tab and they will click. You move the mouse cursor and click from each one. So oftentimes, our own desire for nice, clean data, which is totally understandable, is causing a problem. And we need to do the extra work to actually extract out the country code because we know it's the so many first digits or, or whatever else, right? Um, so that's a big one. And, and this kind of comes on to a bigger issue about intelligent validation, right? This is a real example that, that I saw once, right? So um, on a website I was using, it asked for my postcode, right? So I entered my postcode, DT117UJ, right? Just told you my postcode. Still don't know where I live, so nah, right? Um, so yeah, so, so I entered my postcode, invalid postcode. No, it's not. I know that that's the right postcode, okay? So what was wrong with that postcode? Well, maybe it was that the I didn't have a space because UK postcodes can be split. DT11 space 7UJ. So I tried that. No, 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 didn't, that didn't work, right? Oh, perhaps they want it all in upper, uh, uppercase, all right? Okay, put it in uppercase. No, no, that didn't work. Perhaps they want it in lowercase. Never write postcodes in lowercase, but I'll give it a go. No, didn't work. And I went round and round in circles. And eventually I discovered the problem was, is I was doing this form entry on a mobile device. And on a mobile device, it automatically capitalizes the first letter of a form field, right? And this particular one didn't care whether it was uppercase or lowercase, but for some reason choked on the idea of having a mix, right? That is an example of a developer significantly damaging the user experience. So we need to, as developers, we need to start doing the heavy lifting of validation, all right? That, the, you know, we don't care how they enter it. We will then reformat it in the format that we require in order to validate it. And this is a kind of reoccurring theme, really. The theme here is that often, as developers, and I understand why, because you're given limited time and, and limited resources, that in order to get stuff out, you make your problems the problems of your users, right? Um, it's almost like any interface has a, a default level of hassle associated with it. And the question is, are you going to deal with the hassle or are you going to make the users deal with it? So, uh, you know, for you, it might be half a day's work to, to write a postcode, um, you know, checker that, that validates it in an intelligent way. And for a user, it's only going to take a second to re-edit it in the, the proper format. But when you times that by however many thousands of people have to fill in that postcode, then actually it makes a lot more sense for you to fix it organizationally. And this is where I think we need to, as developers, we need to start championing the user experience, right? And say, well, yes, I could do it the quick and dirty way, 
right? And it will only take this long. But here's the problems it's going to create if we do it like that, and we should do it properly. So intelligent validation is another one. Only including necessary fields um, is another thing. Sometimes um, uh, I see situations where developers are asking the user to enter information that isn't strictly necessary, but they ask them to do it for speed's sake. So, so a great example of that would be um, something like credit cards, right? The, the, the long card number that you enter actually contains all the information you need to know whether it's a Visa card, a MasterCard, or American Express. There's no need for the user to actually have to make that selection, right? But that needs a bit of extra coding, a little bit of extra work. So again, the same thing, who's going to deal with the hassle? Who's going to deal with the problem? Um, another thing you can do that can really improve the user experience is, is have a realistic minimal options now what do i mean by that right drop down lists are a really good example of this so especially country drop down lists so what we do is we we tend to copy um country drop down lists from one project to the next right and we kind of blindly do it um but what we end up is stupid situations like um you know the, the country of antarctica is in the list how likely is it that users are ever going to buy from um uh, antarctica Never. So why are they on the list? Why do users have to scroll by them? Also, things like um, so uh, being in Britain is a great example of this. Right. Um, uh, so, you you know, when you when you go for a country drop down list and you live in the UK, you you don't know where you live. Right. So you hope you hope it's going to be England because that's near the top of the list. You start scrolling. You get to England. No, no, there's nothing to England. So you keep scrolling. Maybe it's maybe it's um, Britain or Great Britain. No, no, it's not there. Keep scrolling, keep scrolling, keep scrolling, keep scrolling. Eventually you find United Kingdom. It would be great if I can just start typing England, United Kingdom, whatever. And it automatically detects the correct option. But at the very least, we need to keep this down to an absolute minimum, only have stuff in the user interface that actually needs to be there. And we don't just copy and paste um, country lists and things like that. Um, another, another really important thing that we need to do is, is uh, remembering people's data. Why do sessions time out and expire, right? Yes, I know there's security reasons for it and all the rest of it, but bloody hell it's annoying from a user experience point of view, right? You know, I'm on an e-commerce site. I'm, I'm ready to make a purchase. Um, I don't have my credit card to hand. I go looking for my credit card. By the time I come back, my session has expired and I have to uh, start again. There is no need for that. I understand that you might want to reach a point where certain data is wiped, right? But that doesn't mean you need to wipe everything and to make people start from scratch. Save what you can to save people data re-entry. And then there's passwords, right? I've got a real problem with passwords, right? He says, taking a drink. Let me, uh, this, is, this, is, this is something we need to put as designers and developers and as a community as a whole, we really need to crack this password issue, right? I'm fed up with being told my password is too weak, right? Because my password is not too weak. Because my password is multiple random words strung together. That's a perfectly good, valid password. It's long, right? Ah, oh, but it doesn't have an uppercase, right? Oh, and it doesn't have punctuation or a special character in it. Well, no, it doesn't. But it's still a valid password. It's still a good password. And really with passwords, um, I think there's 
there's two possible things that we need to do. One is we need to get rid of them completely, right? Email me a link, right? Slack does this. When you log into Slack, it'll send you a magic link that will verify you and allow you to log in. No need to enter a password, right? It validates me through my email address, right? So, so that's one thing that we could be doing. Secondly, the other thing we could be doing, if we have to have passwords for whatever reason, instead, if I want to choose a weak, insecure password, that's my choice. I compromise my own data. So instead of preventing me, right, from, from creating whatever stupid, dumbass password I want to create, instead, let just inform me that my password is weak and then let me make that choice myself. Enforcing complicated long passwords is is a trade-off that generally speaking isn't worth making so passwords are something and again it all comes down to the same thing you see it's so much easier just to say no your password doesn't meet our requirements it's a lot harder to say um you know here's here's why your password is weak um you know you you can go ahead if you want to or here's a link that you can sign in with instead that takes more work and so it doesn't happen. And we end up with an inferior experience. It's also really important to realize that people are increasingly switching between devices and that we need to start thinking about those cross-device journeys and how um, we manage those experiences across multiple devices. Now, I don't claim to have an easy answer to this, but increasingly we need to consider the fact that people are moving from one device to another. Then, of course, there are buttons, right? All the time, you, you guys are uh, creating buttons for different things. And the designers, because they don't always pay attention to the detail, won't necessarily um, think about uh, the wording of buttons and what goes on buttons, right? So, so a lot of buttons on websites um, have like a yes, no dialogue option, right? And the problem with that is it requires me to read the question that's above the dialogue, right? And this is a big difference, actually, between Windows and Mac. I don't know whether it still is because I haven't used Windows for a while. But um, it always used to be that they would have a question on, on Windows and then have a yes, no, or an OK and cancel, right? On Mac, on the other hand, it will say OK or yes, da da da, da. In other words, yes, whatever it is, or no, whatever it is. So you can read the buttons out of context and still know what's going on, OK? So taking the time to really consider these details of the interfaces that we're building, the devil is in the details when it comes to user experience. Then there's minimize required fields. Now I know this isn't always your fault because the marketing department insists on having a load of um, additional fields in that aren't really required in order to do it. But sometimes it is your fault. Sometimes you start fretting about those edge cases, don't you? What about people that have got a third line of their address? We we have to show a third line for the address um, because, you know, some people need it. Yeah, but the vast majority don't. So instead of uh, showing it by default, right, or worse, still making it required, hide it by default and allow people to add it if they need it. Design for the majority, right, and test for the edge cases. OK, so you don't need to, to um, create a user interface that deals with every um, edge case um, as the default view. 
Also, uh, tabbing. Although I said a lot of people don't tab, a lot of people do tab, right? Tabbing is a thing that people do on form fields. And so make sure that tab order makes sense. And this is a really easy one, especially now we've got things like CSS grids. It's very easy to end up with the tab order not being logical. So, so pay attention to those forms. So that's just, oh, and then finally, we're so quick to to um, uh, to provide people with neg negative feedback. What about positive feedback? We'll tell people when they trigger an error, but what about when they get it right? Positive, form, um, uh, positive reinforcement is such a powerful tool to making people more confident in the interactions they're having. Um, and then things like hide logic fields as well. So um, how did uh, how did you hear about us, right? Google, social media, uh, um, other site, or just other, right? And then it's if other, please tell us dot, dot, dot. Well, hang on a minute. Why are we showing the if other field if somebody hasn't selected other, right? Only show fields if they're absolutely critical and they've been selected. Now, a word about capture. Capture sucks. Capture is the most horrible invention in the world. And if you're using Capture on your website, you need to be taken out and shot, right? Capture is a bloody nightmare from a user experience point of view. And, and I have had situations where someone has emailed me um, asking me to, to, to go and fill in some details. I've gone to the thing. I've logged in as a registered user, and they've still asked me to complete a capture form after I've logged in as a known user, right? But even despite that, you should never, ever use capture. The reason being, right, is that capture comes down to this. It comes down to making your problem with spam the problem of users. Your problem with security, the problem of users, right? There are ample other ways of dealing with security problems, with dealing with things like um, uh, spam than getting people to complete capture forms. You can do stuff on the server side. You can do honey traps. You can do, um, you know, the uh, have these APIs that allow you to, to black, you know, have blacklists of, of certain IP addresses. There's all kinds of things that you can do without resorting to capture. Capture turns into a usability nightmare. Um, so again, it's this whole principle of don't make your problems the problems of users. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but in the real world, I don't have time for this. Um, it's uh, it's really difficult to do, etc. And I do get that. But there is a good business case, even if you're not the one, if you don't have the you know ability to change timelines, make sure that you highlight to management the cost of them cutting corners, that you're going to have to do things like capture, that you're going to have to do, take some of these shortcuts with validation and how it's going to damage the user experience, right? So I'm I'm really honestly not having a go at developers here. And I know it can come across a little bit like I am. I'm having a go at the people that don't give you enough time to do a proper job. And all I'm saying is you should be highlighting to them the occasions you're having to take shortcuts, right? The occasions when you're having to compromise things. So forms are a huge thing, but let's talk about error handling a little bit because this is quite an interesting thing and an area where I think actually um, developers can't shift the blame onto somebody else so easily. 
for example, let's talk, let's talk about 404 pages. I hate frigging 404 pages, right? Have you ever seen these articles that say the coolest and best 404 pages? Almost without exception, the 404 pages they highlight are shit. They are terrible. For a start, a lot of them have got 404 plastered all over them, right? Nobody knows what a 404 error is, right? Certainly, they don't know what a 502 error is, okay? Or all of these various error codes. My website went down um, a couple of days ago uh, because Cloudflare um, was having problems. And it threw a 502 error, right? And it just showed it, the default browser. Sure, I accept that their, their, their service will go down. It happens from, you know, errors do happen. But at least return a message to the user that makes sense, that doesn't require, uh, require them having a computer science degree in order to understand it. Also, friggin' say sorry, right? Um, you know, so many, I've been to so many 404 pages that basically say things like, um, You've entered the URL wrong, or you've probably made a typo. So you're actually blaming me, the user, for the fact that your website isn't working properly. Even if that is true, even if I have entered it wrong, you don't get to blame me. You should be apologizing, right? And you guys often end up writing the copy on these pages. So make sure you're sympathetic, right? Make sure you're taking responsibility um, for things that are going wrong. And don't try to be funny, right? The number of 404 errors, 404 errors are the, the kind of the place in the user interface. And designers are just as bad, right? Designers design these bloody things, right? It's like nobody cares about a 404 um, page in, you know, at the business level, right? Nobody's thinking about it. So you designers and developers, you can do what you want and go to town. And, and people decide they're going to be funny. On a for this is not the page you're looking for. Oh, let's make an ex uh, obscure Star Wars reference, right? The worst time to joke and mess around is when things go wrong, right? When users are frustrated. Now I'm going to make a joke about, um, you know, that I can't find the file or whatever else. That is not the time to do it. Instead, be concise, right? explain what the problem is and explain to people how they can fix it. Give them some next actions. Here's the 404 page on my website where I give them a list of things they can do. They can go to my homepage. They can view my archives of posts. They can, you know, um, give you know, search a go. It's actually pretty good. They can drop me an email. There are all these ways that um, I give that I can help them. That's a lot more useful than some bad pun from Star Wars. Um, and when you do make errors, make sure those errors are visible. Now, what do I mean by that, right? So um, I was using a website recently and, and uh, filled, filled in the form. And I got to the bottom of the, the website and I hit the submit button. And the page refreshed and just returned the form again. And it's like, oh, what's wrong with that then? Why didn't that work? Oh, perhaps I didn't submit it properly. So I pressed it again. Still nothing happened. I did this a couple of times. I eventually scrolled up to the top of the page and saw the errors at the top, right? Well, that wasn't where I was looking. I was looking at the submit button at the bottom, right? So place your error messages 
either buy the button where people have just submitted or even better do validation on the fly asynchronously in the page and display any error messages immediately below the field that people make an error. And don't blame the user. I said this a minute ago, and I'm repeating myself nine. Now, this is a 404 error page. Of course, another Star Wars joke. Um, every time someone makes a Star Wars joke on a 404 page, um, Darth Maul dies all over again. Um, I find your lack of navigation disturbing. Piss off. Don't tell me I can't navigate my own website. So, yes, don't do that. And never mention Star Wars. Look at all these Star Wars um, examples I found. Just it took me about five minutes to find all of these, right? This is not the page you're looking for. This is not, I'm, I'm just ranting now. I'll stop it. So, skip that. Okay, so that's error pages. And a kind of part of that is copy, I guess. The, you, you do write quite a lot of copy. Um, and copy is part of the interface. So it inevitably ends up you having to write bits and bobs of copy. So let's talk about it a little bit. I'm going to take another drink. Okay. Don't use Laura Ibsen, right? I'll tell you why you don't use Laura Ibsen. It's because it ends up on the live site. It happens all the time. But there's another reason for it. Um, Laura Ibsen is, is invisible, effectively, right? Um, everybody knows, oh, yeah, we've got to replace that, right? So what you do instead, and this is a tip, if you want to get content out of people, write bad copy and put it in the interface because people will respond to that because, oh, no, that's terrible. Oh, you missed a punctuation. Yeah, I know. It's just the holding text. Give me the proper text, right? Or even better, have a go at writing some good copy. Just don't put in dummy copy. It'll come back to bite you. I can pretty much guarantee it sooner or later. And be concise, right? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read you now some real copy from a real website, right? The following questionnaire is designed to provide us with information that will help us improve the site and make it more relevant to your needs. Please select your answers from the drop-down menu and radio buttons below. The questionnaire should only take two or three minutes to complete. At the bottom of this form, you can choose to leave your name, address, and telephone number. If you leave your name and number, you may be contacted in the future to participate in a survey to help improve this site. If you have comments or concerns that require a response, please contact customer services. Preliminary. So if the questionnaire takes only two to three minutes complete, does that take the time, uh, include the time it takes me to read that? That whole thing can be reduced down to, please help us to improve your site by answering these questions. It should only take you three minutes to complete this survey. No, if you have comments or concerns that require a response, don't use this form. Instead, please contact customer services. So think hard about the copy that you're adding on. Um, and also do things like front load your co um, uh, copy as well. Um, so if you're writing um, instructional copies, don't bury the lead. Don't, you know, be right up front with what it is that you want people to do and always make it scannable as well. You know, use bullet points and that kind of stuff. And again, avoid jargon. Jargon is just going to create problems. Keep it readable as well. Not everybody who's using your site is going to be English speaking as their first native language. So make sure that you run it through a tool like Hemingway app um, in order to make sure it's as concise uh, and readable and scannable as possible. And in particular, you guys need to focus on your micro copy. 
right? Those little bits of instructional text, this is your big area of responsibility that we need to get right, right? Um, because that kind of stuff, it's like nobody's responsible for it. The designer's not really responsible. The developer's not really responsible. The content people don't think about it as content. And so it often gets overlooked, right? So if no one else is doing it, you've got to do it. That's what happens. So at least make sure you do a good job. Let's talk about dealing with edge cases, because that's another big issue that I see developers often struggling with, right? So for a start, we have edge cases of different types of people, right? And then there are so, so different audiences. Oh, these people might want to do X or might want to do Y. Then we have edge cases of scenarios, right? That somebody wants to do something very specific that nobody else wants to do, right? So edge cases can end up frustrating the majority of people because um, you design an interface that accommodates all these various edge cases. And so it just ends up complicating things and frustrating everybody else. So those long country lists are a great example of that, right? Yes, in theory, somebody from Uganda might want to go to a cinema in the UK, but it's not very likely. So why are we including them? Why don't we just have an other option for anybody outside the UK? Those third lines of the address are another great example. The majority of people don't need them. And then there's like obscure content as well. So um, oftentimes on the websites uh, that we're involved in developing, um, you can, uh, we, we often end up having create knowledge bases that help people, um, you know, understand the app that we're building or whatever else. And we kind of think that we need to kind of cover every question that anybody might have, right? But actually, that can make things worse rather than better. So have you ever been to a knowledge base where you've typed in your problem into it and it's returned just stack loads of articles that have got that problem mentioned but aren't necessarily directly related to this? So a great example of this was um, uh, Microsoft had a support base for, for Microsoft Office, right? And so what happened there is that they had a really low customer satisfaction rating. People weren't really happy with it. They, they couldn't get the answers they needed. So Microsoft doubled down and they wrote even more support articles onto every obscure thing that they could possibly come up with. And actually their, their satisfaction rating went down even further. Eventually, they called in a guy called Jerry McGovern, who did something called a top task analysis and found out that the vast majority of people were only interested in the small number of articles that were actually included on the site. Um, but they couldn't find those articles because of all of the other clutter in the way. So whenever we talk about content, whether you're a developer writing, you know, support material or whether you're a um, content person or whoever, we need to make sure that we don't get distracted by oh, someone might find this useful, right? Focus on the top tasks all the time. Advanced features in an application are another example of this. For a long time, Photoshop became a nightmare because it had so many different options. In fact, it still has to some degree. There were so many things you could do that the majority of people just never touched, but they couldn't work out what they do want to do. So if you're a developer working on, a, on an application, be very careful about those advanced features, those edge case features that some people might find useful because they can easily um, make it too difficult for the majority of people to find what they want to do. Um, 
Also, consider things like uh, feature tutorials. Wow, I need to upgrade this presentation. Mailbox is long since gone, isn't it? But um, this is a, a, a kind of onboarding um, tutorials. They're a really great way of helping people to get their heads around, um, whether it be a website or an app, etc. But if you do have those, make sure that you provide a way for people to get back at that information if they want to get it um, in the future, um, because nothing's more uh, frustrating than not being able to find that information later. Basically, it's a great book um, which will help you if you're working on any kind of apps um, or writing copy. And it's called The Laws of Simplicity. Um, and it's about how to simplify the experience of anything. It's a really nice, short, simple book to read. And I highly recommend it. But the one thing that I particularly took away from it is with every element that you add into an interface, ask yourself, could this be removed? Right. What would the consequences of removing it be? If we can't remove it, can we shrink it? Can we visually de-emphasize it? And um, yeah, or could we hide it? Could we put it deeper down in the information architecture, um, et cetera? The other thing you might want to consider um, as you work on, on applications um, is to tailor the users, um, tailor the interface to the user's state, right? So if a user's a beginner, don't show them all the advanced tools. If they're an advanced user, don't show them the tutorials by def uh, default, right? So an interface can actually um, adapt to the user's requirements. So there's a great example I saw of this once where when you first log into the application, to begin with, it would have, you know, um, let's take one of the options, new document, for example, I'm making it up. but So it says new document, and then it has um, an icon next to it. And then a little question mark that lets people find out a little bit more about how that works, right? That's the beginner state. Then over time, that question mark would disappear, right? And it would just, as people use it more, so they would just see the title and the link. Even further down the line, the title would go away and just the icon would be there, right? So you're simplifying the interface as people get to know it and understand it. This is often called progressive disclosure. Right. So, for example, um, you, nobody uh, nobody showed you that you pull to refresh. That's something that you instinctively learned over a period of time. But once you used it, it enabled you to simplify the interface a lot. Um, so here's an example of, of that progressive reduction I was talking about. So, so you know, you, you start off with just a, 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 an icon and a bit of text. Then you just go to, to an icon that's more stood out and then just you know, knocking it back. Let's talk about perception of speed, right? Perception of speed is a, an enormous um, issue on websites. People regularly abandon issue, uh, websites because of speed. One second for a user um, uh, to start noticing that a page is not loading. One second. If it takes longer than one second, they start to notice. If it's longer than 10 seconds, then they're certainly going to abandon. But actually, abandon rates start from about three seconds in. So, um, so it's really essential that our websites uh, perform as well as possible. So what do we do to give that perception that our websites are loading faster? 
right? Yes, I know there's a load of stuff that you can do as a developer. I'm not going to touch on that because you, you already know all of that stuff. But you can also do things to give the perception that things are loading faster. Always load visible content first, for example. Don't wait for a whole page to load before you start putting content. Don't wait for web fonts to load before you start displaying content, all right? Provide feedback to the user. If something is going to take a time, make sure that you let them know um, what's going on. That you know, show a progress bar, show um, you know uh, information about what's happening, so that they don't end up thinking the interface is is completely hung. Um, sometimes it's actually worth slowing down performance in order to give the perception that things have speeded up. So, for example, when the original Mac was created. Um, it didn't have that that progress bar, that loading progress bar, because um, by showing the progress bar, it actually slowed the Mac down. But it was found that it, even though it slowed it down, it was perceived as booting faster with the progress bar because people knew um, and can see what's actually happening. This is another nice little trick that I think works really well is load thumbnail versions of images first, especially if you're using um, like a one of these image optimization services, something like serve.com, S-I-R-V.com. You can get it to load a low resolution thumbnail like the one on the left, and then um, in the background, load a high resolution version of the image and then swap them out, right? So it means that the user is instantly seeing something and then it, it, um, it slowly builds you know, um, to the more finished version. Um, with videos, always load an image of the video before you load the video. Don't load a video until someone, um, the page is even fi either finished loading or a, a user has interacted with it, right? So when people, um, uh, when the video is finished loading, you can bring in the interface, et cetera, like that. Don't wait for web fonts. Um, you know, have a good font stack um, that defaults. So, for example, on my website, um, uh, you will often see a flash now as a designer, you know, designers get annoyed about that and they don't like the, you know, but it, it's better to show a default web font and allow people to start reading and then load in the actual font over time. There is various optimization stuff you can do. There's a great Smashing Magazine article on, especially with Google fonts, how you can optimize them to load better. But I won't get into that, but the perception of your showing content straight away is much better. So. Let's talk about animation as we, we draw to a close today because it is an important part of user interfaces and it often falls to the developer to make that a reality. Um, progress bars are a great way of using animation to give people a sense that um, things are happening, the page hasn't hung, I've already touched on that. Also consider um, your rollover states um, because you know rolling over and the interface adapting it shows a level of interactivity, shows a responsiveness, right? When you click on a link, it can take a second to load before it, you know, it starts loading the new page. But if you've got a rollover state, the user is distracted by the rollover state before the actual thing appears. Um, think about transitions as well. Um, a good transition between one state and another um, can give you a, a useful few milliseconds to, to do some loading in the background. Um, and also creates this sense of a smoother, more interactive, more slick experience. Um, feedback on actions as well is really good. So, um, for example, um, you can... Uh, 
uh, I remember working on a website once for an elderly audience um, and uh, they were they would click and add to the basket button and the, the, the page would refresh and reload, but they weren't very switched on and they didn't realize that something had been added to the basket. So they clicked it again and they clicked it again and they weren't getting any visual feedback. So what we did is we redesigned it so that when they click the button, it said it said on the button added to basket. And actually the product even flew across the screen and went into the basket to really drive that message home. On the screen now, if you're watching the, um, the video version of this, you can actually see a great little animated um, add to basket button. And when you click it, it, it changes to say one in basket um, and also gives you plus or minus um, options to add more. Um, infographics are quite a, a, a good tool to be using as well in order to create a great experience and something that developers can do some really interesting things around, especially around things like displaying information on maps, um, displaying things in this kind of more um, uh, fluid visual form rather than just here's more text, here's more static imagery. Then there are things like product demos. Um, uh, I, you know, there's lots of opportunities to create some really gorgeous animation around demonstrating how a product works, how it operates. Um, it all adds to the experience. And I think that's something that developers can add a lot of value to, mainly because many designers don't know what's possible. Um, and you can you can advise them on that. And then even doing some some animation around things like form validation is really good. Right. So when, you know, on screen at the moment, you can um, see an example where as you start to type in a card number, it tells you what type of card it you know, checks with you that you're doing the right type of card. And the validation um, error kind of fades in, it moves in. It, all of this makes things feel a lot more um, app-like, a lot more responsive um, than just the basic displaying of, of content. Um, you can also use a, um, uh, animation to hide and show content within a page rather than constantly requiring page refreshes. So there are there are so many different things that you can do with animation and it, it can be a powerful tool in creating a great experience. So, yeah, that's basically um, all I wanted to say. I'm very conscious that, that I've maybe gone on a little bit um, too long today. Um, as you might have gathered, I've taken a, a, a kind of half day workshop and boiled it down into an hour's presentation so it's been a bit kind of jumpy over the place but hopefully it's kind of giving you a bit of a sense of how developers can have a huge influence on, um, on the user's experience you know you need to recognize the value of your role in the user experience and how um, you're intrinsically shaping it just as much as the designer and you shouldn't think it's not your responsibility or it's not your right to talk about this kind of stuff you know, whether you're talking about, um, you know, developers are much as involved in, in creating a great user experience as designers. Um, you, but equally, everybody has a, something to say on user experience. And, you know, there's, you know, people that are responsible for governance, resourcing, project managing, marketing, customer service strategy. All of these people are shaping the user experience. Um, so we need to work on our relationships and working side by side with colleagues in order to create a better experience for our end users and i would really encourage you you know a lot of organizations the developers sit in one place the designers sit in another the copywriters sit in another instead start sitting together start mixing up 
So you begin to learn about each other's environments and you get to share ideas as you go. And, and maybe offer to, with your designers to start working in the browser. So instead of them designing their interfaces um, in, in Sketch or whatever else, work side by side, pair design, where you actually start mocking up the interfaces with a designer in the browser in real time. You'll be amazed at actually um, how much you can get done that way um, in terms of productivity, but also um, it makes an enormous difference um, uh, in, in terms of shaping um, the user experience and creating a user interface that's truly dynamic and truly makes use of the web. Um, I'd also encourage you to get involved early in projects. Um, uh, sometimes it can be hard to do, but fight for that ability, ability to be involved early on so that you can flag potential issues that are going to impact the user experience before a design, for example, is shown to a client. Because once the design's been shown to a client, then it's going to get signed off and, you know, it's going to be too late to make changes. So, you know, get involved early um, and point stuff out. Also, invite yourself to usability testing that's going along. You need to see users struggling with apps um, uh, and the, the interfaces you build. It's incredibly enlightening. Um, and the, <laughs> I've just spoken, uh, seen uh, Jacob's uh, comment, which is um, the dev is in the detail. That is a terrible terrible pun but anyway yeah invite yourself to usability testing and get a designer to check your work as well and don't be offended by that right if you're going to come along and tell them their design is going to you know have performance issues or is going to affect the negative experience um uh you know affect the experience in a negative way then you also need to accept that um that that you know, designers may want to check your work as well. They might want to say, you know, you haven't quite got what I was aiming for, et cetera. So start educating one another through discussions, right? Um, you know, so instead of saying you know, moaning at the designer, say, you know, if we change this slightly, we can make less calls to the server and speed up performance. Explain how you're going to benefit the user experience by maybe altering the design. You know, there's a discussion to be had there. And finally, I would encourage you to leave some time in your estimates, right? So as you're estimating projects, recognize that some of this stuff is going to make some more time. Um, and so overestimate um, uh, the figures that you give to, to um, management and project managers, et cetera, to allow this kind of time. If they push you to bring your time down, then you can start saying, well, this is going to be the consequences of that. So I'd really encourage you to get involved in this. You know, it's not always going to be easy. Sometimes it's going to be a battle. But as Winston Churchill said, success is going from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. And I'm conscious that I've pointed out maybe some of the failures amongst developers in this presentation. But don't let that knock you because I understand why they happen. Um, but we can do better. We can build better interfaces um, if we just keep going. So that's my webinar on becoming a user experience developer. I hope you found it useful. I have to confess I wasn't on my top form that day, so it wasn't the slickest presentation I've ever given. But fear not, we have something a lot more polished coming for you next time. If you're a regular listener to the show, you will know that Colin Gray kindly offered to do a short mini season between season 23 and 24 on content strategy and what he calls content stacking. Well, that is now ready and so should be hitting your feed very soon. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.